Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast, on which I'm delighted to have Peter, Peter Schaefer, who is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Everest Communications. And we're going to talk about um, the experience he had in political polling and subject you can't miss nowadays because the elections are coming up and you can't open a website on or a newspaper whatsoever. And we're talking about polling and projections and what marketers can learn from that. Um, so, Peter, could you please give a brief introduction about yourself? Sure. And it's wonderful to be with you, Elias. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, I have spent the better part of the last 20 to 25 years working in two particular sectors. One is the polling and market research sector, which you had mentioned, you know, working for companies like Gallup Poll and Harris Poll and then and other polling firms as well. And then also working in uh, corporate communications and public relations a- around how you take that data and use it in the media, and not only to explain to the public what is going on and and what trends are occurring, but also to build out um, different policy angles and things like that using the polling data that we collect. Mm -hmm. So I've spent the better part of my career working in in both of those areas. And Everest Communication uh, works closely with its client base on more of the, uh, the PR and communication side, but we use data every day and almost every project that we work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it is, it is a, you're right, it is absolutely a hot topic right now. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, even over here in the Netherlands, we, we hear about all the polling going on in, in the US. You can't, you can't open a website or a news website or watch a news channel uh, without seeing polling data. So I found it fascinating to start talking about this on the podcast because we've never talked about polling before and political polling and how that impacts marketers, what they can learn from it. So first of all, could you explain how polling works? Because we see this in the news and on, on websites, et cetera, but how does how does polling work? Absolutely. Um, and, and there are two big evolutions in polling that have occurred over the last five to 10 years. Um, Number one is the number of polls that are conducted online has exploded. Um, It used to be that most polls were done either by telephone with a representative sample of the population. um, And that's when people would have landlines to be be able to pick up in their homes. But obviously that is different now. Um, And the second is that there's so many different software packages out there available for free that pollsters are using or that can use um, just to be able to get very, very quick reads or very quick um, temperature reads on what the population is thinking about on a particular issue, a particular candidate, whatever it is. So those two trends have really increased the amount of polling data that's available, but also the number of quick polls that are fielded almost every day. the other change that has certainly uh, been impactful on this is that the number of people that are available to take polls or that have signed up to take polls has uh, has leveled off a little bit, but it has been on the increase. And so you're talking to a, a wider population, so you're able to collect the data much faster. Uh, and in fact, in, in some cases, you can collect data within hours versus days and you and that that time compression is helping uh different uh 
marketers and, and certainly different uh, organizations make decisions in more real time, which helps then, you know, them help their business and help their, uh, their cause. Mm-hmm. So those, those trends are really impacting, but basically a poll is usually defined as, um, a questionnaire that is sent out to the public, usually online, but has multiple methodologies involved. Um, it's usually less than 20 questions, which is a key part of it. Um, and it's usually using scaling that is familiar to the respondent audience. And the, the next part of that with the respondent audience is, in most cases, polling is sent out to a general audience. Um, but oftentimes it's also targeted to a very specific audience. So for example, I want to only poll Republicans or I only want to poll people in this particular state. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a clear definition of what audience we do want to speak to as part of that polling definition. Um, and then the back end, polling is simply uh, an, uh, a compilation of what people's opinions are and how they feel about certain um, issues and certain candidates and certain you know products and services, um, and it's either you know very specific, um, you know yes I am satisfied with this, or it's very directional, saying yes I think I would I I, I would I would buy this down the road kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So so given given the, the, let's say the directions that you're heading in your questions uh, that, that are asked during the poll, how do you prevent? a poll to become a self-fulfilling prophecy? You know, it's a great question. Um, And there are a couple methods to use to be able to do that. Number one is, and this is the most common, is to ask the same question in different ways so that you can get a picture of kind of what is is happening. Um, The second is to be more selective about your audience and who you are actually polling. So for example, if you see that you're polling a group of people that that are really very, very negative, um, that's probably a good finding, but it also is one of those things where you may want to temper uh, the results, but also see and, and, and figure out whether those people are actually in a position to answer the questions today and down the road in a, in a you know, more um, objective way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, then the third is that if there's any strange um, or any anomaly type uh, activity within the polling itself, um, we recommend that you just kick out those results and and you that you over poll, meaning that you get more people than you need, so that if you do have to kick people out um, or kick those responses out, you can. Um, one of the, for example, practices, and I know in a lot of the polling companies, is that if a survey, per, if a if a person does not complete the poll or the survey, that um, oftentimes that non-completion disqualifies those results to be included in the poll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so cool. So does um, the speed, let, let's say the, the speed of doing the polls and market research that you just referred to, because in the past you would have to send out, let's say, questionnaires, yep. get those in. And you can all do that online now. So you could get basically get results within hours. On That's some. correct. Um, does that also have a negative effect on uh, on on polling or does it because I in, if you're referring to I'm referring to political polling but I've heard about countries that are even don't want to do polls anymore on the day of elections for example yes. because it's it's so elaborate a little on that yeah you're right in that one uh, there there's several downsides to the speed of being able to collect the data um, and the 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 first is that um, you don't want to um, 
take for granted that if I, if I want to get 500 responses to this poll about are you going to vote today or not, that you just take the first 500. And I think that's what happens oftentimes. So you have a bias in there of the people who are, you know, the the, the first in first uh, first responder kind mm-hmm. of type. Uh, so so sometimes that may not necessarily be totally representative. You can. Uh, account for that upfront by being selective about you know who you send the survey to, but uh, but again I mean that's one of the downsides. The second downside I find is that the ability to actually analyze the data because it comes in so quickly is hampered a little bit because you don't have time to clean it out. Meaning you know cleaning out bad responses. Um, sometimes you don't have time enough to um, even. Uh, do what what are called cross tabs, which is where you're comparing one number to another and and, and one audience against another. So that, that that compression, that time compression means that you're going to draw some conclusions that may not necessarily be the, the best or correct solutions. In in political polling, for example, um, you know, one of the, the questions, and especially you mentioned about um, polling on um, the day of elections, um, oftentimes that the the problem with that type of polling is that if somebody has not voted yet, they will oftentimes say that they did and you know and and kind of and 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 project on what they intend to do, not what they really actually did. Um, the other though is that um, there is a a timing element in that in that if you are um, you know for example doing the poll too early in the day. That you may not, you're not accounting for changes in, um, in in voter flow. So, for example, in the U.S., there's always that burst of of voting at um, voting early, and then voting at the polls, and then voting, you know, later in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. there are different time segments, and and the the those instant polls that you mentioned don't account for those types of dynamics that now exist in the uh, in the electorate. Correct. Correct. So. Um... Given all the experience that you have, let's let's jump to um, what let's let to the marketing side of this because we have a lot of marketers listening, and you're also in PR and marketing now. Yep. Um, what are the key learnings that you found um, during your career in in polling that marketers can benefit from? So, what would be some advices? What would be some learnings that you could share with marketers when they start doing research based on, let's say, polling kind of uh, research uh, when when doing a market research. Well, I tell you what, that's an excellent question. And the the first one is this: one of the beauty, the beautiful things about political polling and polling in general is that the questions tend to be very simple and very direct. There's not a you know there, there's not a lot of gray area in there. Uh, what I found in market research and marketing research is that there's a lot more gray and it's more difficult to account for in the types of questions that you ask. So the first thing is simplify and make the question as easy and as understandable as possible so that you can get both a, uh, a a rational reaction, but also an emotional reaction. So that, for example, when I'm asking in political polling about a particular candidate or a particular issue, is that it's pretty clear whether I support it or I'm against it or I'm just kind of neutral about it. And and not that all questions should be you know having three responses or binary or or two responses, um, but oftentimes that's what that's that's the beauty of polling is that it makes it very simple. Um, to to answer. Um, One of the other things too, one of the differences that I think polling can help with on marketing is that 
Um, the question length for polls is typically, you know, anywhere between four to eight minutes. Um, and I think sometimes marketing studies go longer. And because of that, there's a level of fatigue that happens with the respondent. And what we notice is that, especially on politics, because people do have an interest, is that they're willing to take multiple polls across multiple days just to have their opinion heard. I think in the marketing world, it's, you know, hey, I've, I've got this one shot to talk to them and I'm going to take it and I'm going to ask them 25 minutes of questions. <laughs> and then, and then, and then maybe I'll talk to him in another year. So that's that's the other difference is that I think if marketing kind of looked at this as polling, and that they were able to get, um, you know, more immediate access, I think that there might be a little bit of a, a difference. Um, the third thing that that I think we could learn from polling that could apply on the marketing research side is that the. Um, uh, some of the questions, the attitudinal questions that you ask um, in polling uh, have a, an intensity scale that I think is missing in on the marketing side. So, for example, we're always looking at your intent to vote, but we're also looking at your other behaviors that would signal to us that, yes, you would vote. And I think in one regard, the marketing groups that I've talked to, they get to some of those, but they don't get to a lot of the um, uh, the underlying behaviors that would signal that hey, we're on the right track here, or or things are working. So, for example, um, you know, one of the things, and this is a frustration I have in in getting, I travel a lot, and. Uh, you know, um, so I'll get a survey from an airline or a hotel or something like that, and I'm if I'm loyal to that, that one visit is not going to make me really change my mind or whatever. But there's always that question, on you know, just look at this visit versus look at my overall relationship with the brand. And I think sometimes that that in the marketing we're trying to narrow it down so much that we lose that the essence of the relationship that I have with the brand or with the product or with the service. And that's one of the things I think in terms of questionnaire design, polling does really well is that it, it you know, it does get to those kind of underlying uh, emotions in a much more, um, what's, um, in, in, in a much more robust way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get it. So. Get it. So, um, I think one more question that would be very interesting for, marketers that are listening and we're almost at the end of the episode sure. so um i think and I, I, that's my personal experience with marketers that are doing polls and sending out surveys is that it's pretty hard to find people to fill out those forms or those surveys so the two questions i have there for you is is one what would be your, would be your advice as to how to find people to to uh, to fill out your surveys? And the second question, following that, what do you think about people or companies that are rewarding people that take a survey? Because I have a feeling that there are people that almost are making a career out of let's say filling out forms or filling yep. out surveys just to get that reward or gift card to Amazon or whatsoever. So what do you think about that? So first of all, how do we find people to fill out the surveys? And secondly, what do you think about rewards for surveys? Yeah. So um, the, I'll, I'll deal with the, the reward part first, because it will lead into how you get the people to participate and how you recruit people to a particular survey. Um, one interesting statistic that I think everybody should, should know is that almost 
at least 50% of all polls and even market research now are done on a mobile device. They're not done necessarily through a PC. So um, with that, it's in one regard, it's a little bit easier, or at least the, the, the audience can be wider to go see. Incentives are, are effective. There's no doubt about it. And I think there is an overinflation in the incentives, but I think you're absolutely right, Elias, is that there's now a, a, a larger percent of the online survey taking population um, that is uh, that is what we would call a professional survey taker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think that I would discount too much um, you know the results on those, but I, I would generally say that 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 is a a bigger segment of the survey population or polling taking population than people think. Um, you know, but again, I think that they understand and they know um, you know they know how to to to, I guess for, I hate to say this, but they know how to play the game. Um, so, you know, I think it's leading to some more neutral responses or maybe less intense responses. Um, but I think also, you know, people are just so hungry to get the data that they're, they're willing to overlook some of those things. Um, one thing I have seen though recently is that the, like I mentioned, the overinflation of incentives, um, where I actually got a survey a couple of days ago from a group and they were willing to pay up to a hundred dollars for my participation, um, which, you know, I think is, is kind of, you know, that's way off the chart, but I, you know, you're right. That is a a problem. One of the other problems too, is with online, there's a a good bit of fraud that goes on because it's easy to, um, you know, pick up patterns and, and, you know, not hijack surveys, but, you know, because of the, the way the sampling is done, it's often, you know, sometimes they're sent to, um, you know, bots or, you know, what we'd call factories that, that mm-hmm. would just, you know, basically just churn and churn and churn and complete those. And to your point is that every time I complete one, I'm going to get the incentive and that becomes kind of a, you know, it's a factory model of, of cashing in on the incentives. If the incentive is thought through and, and done properly, um, it, it is a, a good thing. And what I mean by properly is that um, the payout has very specific rules. The payout has conditions attached to it. Um, so that that you are protecting yourself as much as you are protecting the survey respondent. Um, but you know, if if it's if it's more the more automated, the more likely fraud is. Um, so incentives do work, and they are part of the process. Um, one of the things that that I've noticed though is that companies, and this has been going on for probably over a decade, is that they're creating their own online communities where they're buying lists or they're acquiring lists from their first party data and using those lists to go and and take um, or send surveys and polls to um, because they have then more control over it. They can c- clean that list. Um, there are a number of survey sampling companies out there that that you can get in contact with to to uh, to get people to take surveys, but, um, you know, there, there, there are multiple options to be able to get those lists. Um, but one of the things that, that I, I think, um, we're not asking enough of those sampling companies is about, you know, panel fatigue about the, uh, meaning, you know, how many, I mean, are people just over-surveyed? Um, and then the second is, is really, you know, what's the level, what's the, what's the current level of response rate or active membership within that panel. Um, and, uh, and I think those questions sometimes, um, if we knew the answer, I, we might think about the direction of the poll a little bit differently. Um, interestingly enough, some of the U.S. media for the election polling here in the United States still uses 
online, or I'm sorry, uses telephone calls to either landlines or cell phones um, as part of their polling methodology. Um, and and in, in some regards that, even though it's an older methodology, it's a proven methodology, um, but again, it's much more difficult to get people on the phone. And, and that takes you know extra days, it takes extra cost. For example, there's a, a rule in the United States that if you are going to pull somebody by mobile phone, you have to physically dial that number. You can't have an auto dialer dial oh, that really? cell phone. <laughs> yeah. So 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 now you've got if you want to try to get 400 responses on mobile, which is typically on on a public poll, one of the, the goals. You know, you're you may be sitting there making 2,000 outbound telephone calls to get that, or even really? more than that. So um, so yeah. So both. I mean, you know, again. Um, there are a lot of companies now that are opening up their lists to other people. I know um, that uh, some companies, especially marketing companies, um, have created businesses out of th- these this list creation. Um, you know, most of the major software packages have a survey component to it, uh, or a survey tool embedded within it. And um, so that, that, for example, if, if you're on, um, you know, a CRM platform, they probably already have a survey um, uh, uh, software package embedded within it. And you can just go ahead and um, uh, use that. And now your CRM becomes your, uh, your survey or polling list for you. Love it. Love it. So those were some very hands-on tips. Very, um, well, I'd like to thank you very much, Peter, for being on the Marketing Technology Podcast. I will share a link to your LinkedIn profile as well as a link to uh, Everest Communications website. And um, well, again, thank you very much for being on the show. No, thank you very much. It was wonderful to meet you and I look forward to uh, hopefully talking again very soon. Listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.